This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 99! Why you should play Doom. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. This is crazy. This, this is crazy because we're actually kind of at the point now where we are starting to transition the show into being about more than just Twilight Imperium, which yeah, is crazy because we feeling. we did almost a hundred episodes <laughs> before we had to. Well, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and say it. We technically have done a hundred episodes. Well, I just, yeah. I just had a dumb numbering convention that for some reason didn't include the learn to learn. Or mm-hmm. any of the This Imperium Lifes, which are all very clearly about Twilight Imperium. So if we're really counting, we're at like a, a, episode 106, but, you know, whatever. Right. Well, and that's that's a good transition into saying next week is our official 100th episode, even yeah. though it actually isn't. But right. <laughs> because of Matt's weirdness, um, we have something special for you uh, that kind of came together really suddenly. Yeah. Um, we actually interviewed... The daddy of all Twilight Imperium daddies, the granddaddy of Twilight Imperium, Christian T. Peterson himself. Yes. We interviewed him. We've actually already done it, but yep. we will be we will be showing you that next week. That yep. is your episode hundred one hundred uh, special episode. So I'm really freak excited. Out. About I'm ex- I'm excited about it. Just to tease some of the content, not to get into it, but uh, I just like that. I feel like we got some different stuff out of him than I've found in the past. Not that I've watched every interview that he's ever done, mm-hmm. but it just felt very focused on Twilight Imperium. Whereas he's you know he's been a he's been a big businessman for a long time, so he's mm-hmm. had more important things to be interviewed about. Uh, and it was nice kind of getting back to, this felt like an interview that could have happened six years ago, you know, where he's like talking about, we talked through like all the old editions and just everything, just how, how he's gone about creating the universe of Twilight Imperium. And, and I just thought it was super, super, super fun. And I can't wait uh, for everybody to hear it. So just start, start getting super hyped for next week's episode 100. That is also coincidentally our two year anniversary. Uh, so episode 100 and two years happened at the same time. Wow. Uh, which so we have is, been doing this show for two years. That is insane correct. to me. Yeah. That is crazy to me. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's and it's crazy that this that today what we are essentially going to do <laughs> is convince throw you it to, all out. We're just going to convince you to play something else. Uh, basically. <laughs> hey, you've been playing enough that Twilight Imperium. All right. Time to take a break. A qu- yep. Just a, just a quick break to play Dune. And then yes. you cut, go back, of course, to playing Twilight Imperium. Because that's exactly what we're doing. We're taking a quick little break. To mm-hmm. play what is supposed to be one of the greatest board games ever created. Uh, yeah, we're, a- we're actually hardly taking a break, though. Uh, yeah, you, we have both recently We've played doing... Twilight Imperium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of Twilight Imperium still happening in our lives, but it's nice to play more than one game ever. That's yeah, fun. boy, has yeah. that been fun? Uh, we were doing some route just because we had the copies earlier, but we both got our copies of Dune this last week and we've both played one game each uh and we want to we kind of want to this isn't like an official dune episode but it seemed worth it to sort of convince you our our gung-ho audience uh why why you should stick around with us when we start talking about dune uh again twilight imperium's not going anywhere but we'll have you know episodes in the future that are exclusively about dune uh, and and strategy about Dune and and the same stuff you're used to with our Twilight Imperium like faction guides and all of that, and uh, we've seen plenty of things online where people are like, I don't know why why should I care why what what am, what's the reason I'm supposed to get into Dune? Right. So we figured we should do that today. We should kind of really sell you on why this is why this was chosen as our game number two. Yeah, I mean, I think it, in a lot of ways it was a perfect game number two. Yeah, because we've sort of already played it. And right. I don't know, I, I, we didn't talk about um, this before we started recording, but I'm wondering, Matt, how different do you feel like the new edition is from Rex? Like, do you feel like, does it feel like kind of coming back to an old favorite? Or well, is, is there enough new stuff to where you're like, whoa, okay, I don't quite remember this. It's, I remember a lot of it. It feels really similar. The biggest, and, and anybody who's a big fan of Dune that Ben played Rex will tell you this, the map is is very, very different. Yeah. Uh, if anything, I think the map of Dune is like 
really convoluted and weird, but that doesn't make me dislike it. But I, I just remember lots of people not being into the Rex map because it's just kind of a, it's literally just a web of interlocking positions rather than like a map of, you know, your traditional like dudes on a map game where, oh, they, mm-hmm. uh, these different territories line up against each other in weird ways. Uh, Rex is more just like, here's a bunch of numbered spaces that randomly connect to each other from different lines. I right. had no problem with that system, but that's like the only notable difference, I think, between Rex and and Dune. Uh, so it does feel like coming back to something that I was always incredibly entranced by. I've had yeah. uh, Rex since 2014, and I've only played it three or four times because I'm just I've never been able to get a group to want to return to it uh, all the time. Uh, and that's not because it's not a great game, but it's if you've watched the Shut Up and Sit Down review recently that they did, they kind of get at this. But it's it's sort of like Dune slash Rex is a game that requires you to invest mental energy into it yeah. you play it one time and after that first game you go oh i had no idea that i was supposed to think of this and this and this and there's there's just so much more going on beneath the surface that is incredibly intoxicating and like i want to learn that i just never had a full group that also wanted to learn that but now that i do uh, i'm incredibly stoked to start getting into it because there's there's a lot to uncover and learn yeah. And so I mean today what we're really going to talk about is we're going to make kind of a kind of a pretty loose argument as to why we think you should kind of come on this journey with us and um play Dune, buy Dune and uh enjoy it along with us as we kind of do this uh this kind of pretty general uh coverage of what Dune is about and what makes it so special. Um so we're going to start today by kind of uh mimicking a little bit the early episodes of this show about Twilight Imperium, and we're going to break down some basic ideas of the game itself. Um, We're not really going to do like a rules overview, so we're kind of going to talk about these concepts in like a kind of abstract nebulous way, but I'm sure it'll be detailed enough for you as a Twilight Imperium fan to uh, latch on to what is interesting about this. Um, But we want to talk about the economy of the game yeah uh, and how that kind of uh it has this really um brilliant aspect to it uh that i actually uh i didn't realize but i one of my favorite things about um board games are when players uh have to interact with each other in order for the game's economy to work yes basically i don't what i don't like is the monopoly banker this anonymous third party that you're throwing money at that that just kind of disappears into the ether and it's not represented by somebody well dune doesn't do that and how does it not do that matt well uh there's two big factions to talk about there but the the main thing to understand about it is that the the main things that you spend money on in the game certain factions in the game are the ones that you pay when you do right. that. You don't pay the bank. If you want to move stuff around the map, or, or not just move, If specifically if you want to ship, if you want to land units onto the map, think of it as you are coming from some other planet to visit Dune, Arrakis. If you're coming to this planet, you have to go through the Spacing Guild. You have to earn their permission to come down, which means you need to pay them. So in this game, every time you ship units... You pay the Spacing Guild. So if you want to have fighting forces, instead of like in Twilight Imperium, oh, I spend $2 on a cruiser. If I want to spend $2 on two dudes, I pay the Spacing Guild. Right. Yeah, I I think that's... uh, Right now, the Spacing Guild is kind of my favorite uh, faction to play as because I just love that idea of like, you know, if I am... Like, essentially, all of the units in... um, uh, Dune are just represented as forces. They're just dudes. That's it. There's, and yeah. there's just one real type. I mean, there are some, maybe some special situations where there's a special dude, but it's mostly just one type of dude. And just the idea of, I mean, can you imagine in Twilight Imperium if it was like, all right, if I'm going to buy this cruiser, I have to pay a specific faction in order to buy a cruiser. That is essentially what Dune has going on right. with the Spacing Guild. And And right off the bat, it does something really crazy to the game, which is... Like your economy is already thrown out of whack. It's not. It's no longer about. I need to make sure I get more money than other people. The Spacing Guild is going to get more money than you. Right. Uh, right. There's like. There's only one other faction, and we can kind of bring it up. But the Emperor, you also pay for a certain type of thing. We'll, we'll get more into like what 
uh, treachery cards are. But the Emperor and the Spacing Guild both get paid throughout the game. And then yeah. everybody else is paying them. So they are 100% going to have more money than you. So that's not how you find your victory in Dune. It's not, you know, it's not your typical dudes on a map thing where you accrue more money to build more stuff to take out more stuff of your opponents and eventually win the game there isn't yeah. that arc of i need to build up a good economy so that i then beat each other if that were how this game worked the spacing guild or the emperor would win every single time sure because they're gonna get more money and more things on the board um so basically the way the emperor makes a lot of money is there is a phase of the game where everyone kind of bids uh there's like an auction essentially that happens for um, cards that I'll, I guess I'll just describe them as action cards at this point. That doesn't quite cover, no, um, yeah. what's important about them, but they are important cards that help you, um, in battle and they help you do other things outside of battle. Um, and essentially whenever you win an auction, you are paying the emperor. I mean, the actual order of all of this is the auction happens and then later you do the shipping, which creates an interesting relationship of, at the beginning of the game, essentially the emperor makes a crazy amount of money that seems really scary. Yeah. And then the emperor is actually the only faction that does not start with any dudes on the map. So so then the emperor has all of this money that they then essentially have to give to the spacing guild in order to just get boots on the ground. And I love that. I love yeah. that kind of this and then that relationship of the right. economy. So essentially, the Emperor gets a bunch of money, and then they can kind of decide, like, all right, how rich do I want to make the Spacing Guild? Right. Um, and then, of course, the Spacing Guild is going to have to spend that money on something else or some, some other thing as well. Right. And well, what's, what's interesting, too, that we are now starting to get into is, in this game, your turn order is sort of, like, absolutely critical and really determines everything about, like, what's happening in the game. Because let's talk about this first round where the Emperor makes a bunch of money, right? Uh, and then... If they go before the Spacing Guild, then they ship before the Spacing Guild, they pay the Spacing Guild, and then on the Spacing Guild's first turn, the Spacing Guild also has a bunch of money to now ship. But if the Spacing Guild goes before the Emperor, they haven't earned that money from the Emperor right, yet, right. which means their first round is kind of boring and sort of like, ah, I don't really have enough money to get out there yet, but next round's going to be great. And so you've already thrown off any sense of like standard you know, opening move, right? The Spacing yeah. Guild, their first, Spacing Guild's first moves are wholly dependent on, did I go before or after the Emperor and how much did the Emperor pay me to move? If the Spacing Guild goes last, that's great because everybody pays them before they go. Then they get to dump all their stuff on the map if they want to or whatever. But mm -hmm. th that turn order absolutely changes uh, the, the scope of what you are even capable of doing. Yeah, and I would say the importance of tur turn order is something that this game really has a lot in common with uh, Twilight Imperium about. Yeah. Um, the only thing that the is that the turn order doesn't really move um, based on anything that the players are doing. The turn right. order is like kind of really random, and it, it can be somewhat predictable, but you're right. never really gonna for sure know that you get to go first next round, right. which you're, is interesting. You're order is always the same it's always you know counterclockwise or whatever but your starting player can vary kind of wildly right, uh, right. and that and that will change up everything so yeah yeah um next uh i think the the one of the more interesting rules especially when uh teaching this game to new players is the fact that alliances are actually codified into the game yeah uh, and at a specific time in the game that can come up early, it could come up late, who knows when it's going to ha actually happen, uh, you can ally with another player by giving them like your alliance card, and then essentially you guys can have a group victory. Your victory condition is a little bit more difficult than if you were playing solo, right. um, but it's just so fun that that is a an actual option within right. the game. Well, it's the perfect it's the perfect uh like middle ground between Twilight Imperiums absolutely no alliances, whoever gets to 10 points first wins. Then you go on the other side of that scale and you look at Cosmic Encounter, and Cosmic Encounter is just hey, as long as you all get to 5 points at the same time, you win. So you could have a four-way tie for victory and only one person loses or you mm -hmm. could have one per like it's totally absolutely madness, which Cosmic Encounter is the only game I've experienced where people like have an honor to whether or not they won. So like Hunter, I think you're like that, right? You 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 will do everything you can to not win in an alliance. Whereas oh. plenty of people are like, I'll do whatever it takes to win. 
Yeah, it's not even a win for me. I, I think Cosmic Encounter is I win alone or I don't win. Right. That's, that's, my, that's my feeling. This is that perfect marriage where it's like, it's totally fine if you have set up an official alliance with someone and the two of you win. That alliance be, made it more difficult for you to win. Uh, but if you two can pull it off, then like kudos to you and you get to share that victory with someone. It's, it's really like the perfect way to do alliances. Right. Uh, uh, I think one of my favorite rules in this game is that secret conversations are also codified. Right. So whenever I am not in in an alliance with anyone, I technically do not have a right within the rules of the game to tell anyone anything that is secret. However, if I make an alliance with another player, one of the things, one of the rights I'm granted within the, within the rules are that I can now secretly convey information to that one player. Uh, and that, oh man, the fact that secret conversations are brought up in the rule book at right. all well, is such an exciting aspect of this game to me. That is honestly the most beautiful part of Dune, and and the part that people should get like really excited about is the idea that these these meta things, most of them are codified in in some way, right? Like that this is the best example of that. But there's all kinds of other examples where the where the rule book tells you you shouldn't do this, like you don't get to do this normal behavior. There's all kinds of things in here where it says you have 10 seconds to make your decision. Now the right. game doesn't come with like a, a 10 second sand timer or anything, and like it's very easy for your group to ignore that if you want to, but. It's in the rule book, so there's nothing wrong with someone, set, you know, holding you to that 10 second timer. Right. Uh, so these little meta experiences are all part of the game because the designers of the game are aware that that's what makes this game important and right. and and beautiful. Is like the meta is where the game is played. It's not a dudes on a map game where I'm trying to steamroll my opponent. It is all about how did I work above the table. So yeah. so this this idea that like information kind of is a resource, right? And, and right. we should we should talk about the Atreides faction. So this yeah. is our third yeah. faction. And we're not like digging into all of the abilities or anything today, but to get a, a gist of the Atreides is we talked about those treachery cards. When you're bidding on those cards and then paying the emperor, you have no idea what you're bidding on. Right. Uh, only you do it the blind. Atreides. You do it blind unless you're the Atreides. Atreides gets to look at every single card before everybody starts bidding on it, and they know how good is the thing you're trying to bid on, which means then you turn into situations where uh, you can trade spice with any player. Well, almost any player. We'll get into that. But you can trade spice between players basically at any time. So you could pay Atreides a dollar to somehow like tell you what the card is and whether or not it's worth uh, bidding on it'd be awkward mm-hmm. to do it because they can't tell you privately uh, unless they're your ally and if they're your ally you can't trade with them anymore you are no longer allowed to trade so it's this perfect synergy or almost anti-synergy between the two things of of like the the best part of being in an alliance is the secret conversations and you can't really use the secret conversations to like a, a super juicy way i don't know there, there's more to it than that but the biggest thing is people might pay Atreides to know what other people have because Atreides are also the only faction who get to keep notes. And it is specifically said in the rules, Atreides gets to have a little pad of pa- paper and write down what treachery card everybody else gets. And nobody else is allowed to do that. Right. So Atreides That's has, huge, too. Yeah. Rem- remembering what... Essentially, imagine if somebody got to look at every single action card in Twilight Imperium that was dealt out before they were dealt right and then write down who has everything i'll I'll go one step further than that imagine if everyone was dealt out a rock a paper or a scissors before the game or but you know before each round or whatever and that's that you have to play rock so if i go to combat with hunter and i have rock and he has paper i need to know that before i go into it which means i totally will pay atreides to tell me if hunter has paper or if he has scissors because then i know if my rock can defeat him uh, right. that that's the power of Atreides and that's the power of information and other factions have other types of information and, and want to use it in different ways uh, to talk a little bit more about battle and this rock paper scissors thing uh, combat in general is pretty easy math uh, to where it's like you, you, you bring a set number of forces you send you, you use a certain number of those forces and that gives you a number and then you have a leader that adds a number so you know you, you're going to use three forces and your leader gives you four more combat seven alright my combat value is seven right. if my seven beats your number I win the combat easy except for these rock paper scissors cards get introduced where well if you play this you kill the other person's leader and that knocks out that extra four combat value they had mm-hmm. uh, 
So a big thing in combat is traitors. Uh, and that's something you do at the beginning of the game. And our fourth faction, Harkonnen, uh, is it the Barony of Harkonnen? I always want to call it the, the main guy is is the Baron, and so I always want this to just be called the Barony. The Barony so of Harkonnen. Used, I'm no, so used no. to saying the Barony of Letnev that right, I, right. this whole all game I was calling them the Barony. Yeah. Well, he's called the Baron Harkonnen, right. but yeah, their house, their house, uh, or their house Harkonnen. God, I always pronounce it incorrectly. I want so, it to be called Harkonnen. I've heard people reason. say that, but the audiobook I listened to said Harkonnen. Anyways, uh, they get four traders at the start of the game, and a trader basically works where. If I if if you play a leader against me that at the beginning of the game I drew their traitor your your leader doesn't work against me now so Harkonnen has information in their own hand against other players that give them an advantage at war and Atreides have advantages that give everybody else power that they can then use that against each other right they they can pay Atreides to know what everybody else has in their hand so let's say Harkonnen is about to attack the spacing guild well the spacing guild wants to find out from Atreides what all cards Harkonnen has because the Spacing Guild is worried that even if they lose their leader, they need enough combat value to be able to beat Harkonnen because there's a decent enough chance that Harkonnen could have one of their leaders as a traitor. Right, right. So all the math is not... It's not plus one to your combat value like Twilight Imperium. It's not It's not weird little additions and takeaways. It's all about this, what do they have, and how could they completely throw this combat complete out of whack? Like, how, how could they throw off everything I'm trying to do? So I just want to say at this point, though, like, the traitor cards are probably the most exciting to me as far as their potential for, like, a play of the week style, um, like, <laughs> content, basically. Yeah. Because... Whenever you're playing a regular faction, essentially at the beginning of the game, you will be dealt four traders. There's one trader card for every leader oh, in true. the game. Yeah. Uh, and then you will pick one of those traders. And honestly, the likelihood that you're going to be in a combat with that trader uh, is kind of low statistically, because, I mean, right. anything could happen. Um, and the fact that Harkonnen gets four trader cards... Uh, to me, screams that the likelihood of them being able to use those trader cards in an effective way is really high. And essentially, the way a trader card works is if I fight your trade, if, if I fight a leader that I have the trader card for, I can basically just end the combat and I won, basically. Yeah, right. Well, and and something else that is important that you kind of uh, pointed out is everybody else looked at three traders at the beginning of the game mm -hmm. and there's not really that many ways to draw new traders if any i don't know if i recall i i feel like there were in rex and i don't remember if there are in this new edition of dune or not and that's the i don't think thing there I is actually so regardless everybody else knows three leaders that nobody has their trader for right like right. i if i if i try to make a point to remember that i can go okay the emperor's you know level five leader i have this and i'm putting it back which means that's some information i can sell to the emperor later right. if i want to right if, if i want to help him out and say hey listen i saw one of your leaders do you want to know which one is safe uh and vice versa you can pick your own leader and just have no trader right like you, right. you can have one guy that's your go-to if i'm you know if if i'm the fremen and i put still in my opening hand i might keep stillgar because that's seven combat strength that i can always have available every round and 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 no i'm not going to get turned against by him right right um i i have a specific example of someone doing this even and uh in the game i was playing yesterday i was about to win as the spacing guild and i was uh in a combat against harkonnen and they were scared to use fade rotha their their favorite or the the best right. leader that they have. And then the emperor for free was just like, I have Fade Rotha. Don't worry about it. Right. Basically. And what a missed opportunity to just be like, right. Nah, you, you, you got to buy that in right. from me. Right. Well, I mean, I think, I think the reason he gave it for free is because it was the entire board against me at the right. very end. It right, was, right, it was right. a clutch combat. He needed Hark I see what you're saying. He needed right. Harkonnen to give his full strength so that he could try to stop you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cause there was no other option available basically. Right. And that's, that's generally how anything in Dune goes, right? The information continues to be the most important thing out there throughout the entirety of the game. Uh, the other thing, though, so, so you have all this information that most of you know something about. Somebody knows something about all the information. But there's uh, this whole other factor that we have to deal with, which is the map itself and the board that we're playing on. Uh, and this is where a lot of our uh, real randomness comes up. And this is what kind of shakes up the game in a way that is 
not frustrating like a lot of randomness is. There's plenty of games. I mean, it it's, can be really frust frustrating in Twilight Imperium when just you kept drawing really terrible secrets. You never got a good action card. You know, random things like that can happen, and it just never works out for you. When Dune is random, it's to the benefit of the game. It's part of what you are strategizing around. It's right. like what you have to plan for because it is it is in the very nature of the game. So let's talk a little bit about the Fremen. Uh, the Fremen are our fifth faction. They're the Saiyan people. They're just, they just dig holes out of the dirt and come out of nowhere. <laughs> There's basically a section of the map that they are more or less going to control because they can just spawn there for free. Everybody else has to pay the sp spacing guild to ship. The Fremen get to pop up in this one spot. So you mm -hmm. can more or less think of that side of the board as not necessarily on lockdown, but pretty close. I mean, it's it's really hard to like necessarily dig into all of their space. Uh, but that doesn't mean there's not this other thing happening across the board, which is the storm. And the storm makes its way around the board in little clock, you know, counterclockwise circles. And it's just decimating paths throughout the map and and you know spice pops the the economy of the game that you're trying to collect is this spice but when the storm passes over spice all the spice goes away so it's always a race to get to the spice as soon as it spawns which is also random uh all of these factors mean that when you look at the map you can't at the start of the game go i know i want to do this because you have to wait and see where the spice is going to land and go to the spice. And you have to wait and see where the storm is right now and let that determine how far you think you can go, right? Where, where you need to be ending on this turn so that you are undercover and the storm won't hurt you. Uh, so everything you do on the map is is scary and you're you're like constantly looking out for what might happen next. And, and they, the map almost acts like an active participant in the game. It creates a sense of danger in a way that, that Twilight Imperium doesn't, like, sort of has. Like, Twilight Imperium has, like, here's a supernova, and here's the gravity rift, and the nebula, and stuff like that. Uh, and it's kind of, like, junk areas of the map that are, like, kind of a problem. Whereas Dune kind of expresses that danger in a more, like, who knows what's going to happen, and you can see the danger there, and you can kind of... Um, it creates... T very tense moments in the game because there's yeah. also an aspect um, where random bits of basically money will just appear on Dune on the board at random points. Um, and depending on where the storm is in relation to those points, it could be very risky to go try and you literally have to go harvest it. You have to go right. to the place where it's at. And then depending on how many uh, forces you've, you have committed to that action, you get to harvest so much of the spice. Um, so that's really interesting to me. The fact that the 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 board has some random swerving bits that are really just to create a sense of danger. Right. Um, and I feel like that is a little bit different than there's a, there's a lot of randomness in basically all board games. And and Twilight Imperium has randomness, Dune has randomness. Um Dune has a little more in my opinion thematic randomness whereas a lot of Twilight Imperium's randomness is abstract. Right. I'm not necessarily saying one is better than the other. It's just different. And I like that I'm playing a game that has more thematic randomness. Right. Well, and what's really interesting about it, too, is that randomness, again, dictates sort of the pace of the game. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there there isn't a there's not an early game or a mid game or a late game in Dune necessarily that you could kind of argue that there is, but it doesn't work like anything else. Someone can win round one if, if right. things happen, you know, just in the right way for them. Uh so, like, the fact that the, the, the spice will land in one spot, and suddenly that is a focal point for at least two of the factions, but probably more than that in most cases, now suddenly everyone wants to get there, and they want to get there as fast as possible because they need to get there, then be able to get out before the storm hits. We had a scenario in one of our games where the storm was, like, coming, and only one person decided to, you know what? Screw it. I'll, I'll sacrifice, you know, X amount of units to make sure I get that spice, even though all those dudes will die. I have no idea yet if that was a smart move, you know, on their part. I haven't gotten that far into my thinking about Dune, mm -hmm. but it seemed like a clever choice that they had to make. That's a, that is an option that you can make in this game is like, I need to make some money because I need to make some other type of play later to where I need to sacrifice these dudes that are very, very hard to get back. Right, right. Um, I will say this, the sand, the, the storm can at times move the opposite direction that you are expecting it to move. That's something that I witnessed uh, because of a card that I received. Oh. 
Um, I never saw that. So I did this. Yeah. This is me learning this. That's fun. Yeah. So there is terrifying. There is a card that kind of allows you to have a little weather control and you get to move the storm uh, basically the opposite way that it would normally move. And you can move it quite a ways about halfway across the board. Wow. Um, So, yes, sometimes you can take a risk like that and the storm will move in an unexpected way or maybe even you have control of the storm and can move it the other way. Um, so it is not a locked in death trap. There's still right. some random swerving that can intervene there. But I do, well, I do really love uh, the storm a lot. Like I, yeah. I love how it works. Well, and and to try to like talk it up some more. Th- if this is something that scares you, if you really hate randomness in games, this isn't something that is. Uh, so random that it feels like, oh, I just got screwed over by the game and I never stood a chance. It's not like that. The game is like predicated on this randomness. It is built around it to where that that is part of what you are doing. That's part of every decision in the game is, is it going to be worth it to go for that spice because of based on everything else's position? You, it's you, it's a risk reward like right. d- like situation that it's creating. And there's a lot of there's a lot of tension in that. But there's also, you know, it's like there's going to be play of the week style stuff where somebody's like, I went for all of this spice and it was basically, it was going to be the whole game for me was getting the right. spice and the storm went the other direction and I was safe. And it, it right. and everyone was assuming that the storm was going to kill all of my units. Uh, that's something that we haven't really brought up too much either. Um, this game, what's interesting about the flow of this game is that once a lot of your units are dead, you are, it's very hard to get them back, or yeah. or, or at least very as slow. you get them back, it, it takes a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, that is, I think, the risk in going out against the storm yeah. is, well, it might kill all of these, all of my forces right here. Um, it's also so then the you risk- kind of have to calculate that. It's also the risk of going up against your fellow players. If right. you, in round four, do a huge fight of you versus someone else, and both of you lose all of your units, but neither of you win that round, you have probably cost both of you the chance of ever winning because right. of how slowly you will get your units back to the board and how now everybody else has plenty of units to go take the territories they need to take to win. Right. So the, the idea of doing big battles is... a a final move tactic you should not as far as i can tell you should not be fighting all game long maybe there's some idea of a strategy where it's like no you do little tiny fights every single round right like you're gonna get back three units per round so maybe the idea is i shouldn't kill more than three units per round if i can help it or whatever right I, i could see that being a thing but in general that's the pacing of it you can't do your big fight until it's like this is for the win. Here we go. Let's let's pull the trigger on this thing I've been plotting for. And that's the big thing. I just finished uh, listening to Dune for the very first time uh, about two weeks ago, maybe a week ago. Uh, and that is by far the biggest like factor that I took away from the book is like how much uh, Frank Herbert spends his time getting you inside the heads of these people that are plotting against each other. My favorite scenes in that book are four people sitting in a room and you, they all have plots against each other, but they're just talking in this room together. Mm-hmm. But you hear each of their thoughts about what, why they said something and how that is feeding into their plot of what they plan to do next, et cetera, et cetera. That's how you have to play Dune. Is it's not about you know, getting a war of attrition on somebody else. It's more about setting up your plot and successfully executing it and not having some other person have something that was directly in your way. So collecting all the necessary information you need and not being sabotaged by some traitor you didn't see coming or some treachery card you didn't see coming. It's it's all about orchestrating planned out plots. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I am anticipating a lot of stories of epic betrayal basically. Yeah. I don't see game. how every game doesn't end in a play of the week. That's just uh, Dune is play of the week, the board game. The only way you win is the big thing happened and holy cow, it went one way or the other. And so-and-so won because of it. Like yeah. that's every single game of Dune. Yeah. Um, how do you, uh, Matt, I'm realizing, how do you win in this game? Should we <laughs> kind of lay we that talk out? About that? <laughs> Should we talk well, about how you win? This is the disaster part of the game because there's one, there's, there's, there's one main way to win. Uh, and that is there are five uh, fortresses on Dune. And if you control three of them, you win the game. Uh, you have to hold it by the end of the round. So in the final phase of the game, if you control three territories, you win. You did it. Uh, if you have an alliance, the two of you, between the two of you, need to control four territories to win. And then you win. Uh, but that's a, that's a lot. I mean, three out of five, that you have to have a pretty good, uh, you know, stranglehold on the, right. the table. Right. I mean, there are six, there are six factions. 
right. and five areas that you need to control. So, I mean, that's a lot of people trying to take up all this real estate, basically. Right. Uh, but the game doesn't stop there. Like, so if you, if you think you've figured out, like, what you should do now, because it's all about controlling these five crucial territories, and that's it, that's not it, because there are three factions on the table that maybe don't care about that, uh, at all. Maybe they don't care about it even a little bit. Right. Uh, so we need, we haven't talked about the Bene Gesserit. We should talk about them real quick, but then we also have to go back and talk about the Spacing Guild and the Fremen again. But right. the Bene Gesserit have the craziest and the most interesting and the coolest new way to win out of any faction I've ever seen. And I wish it was in every board game I played because it is by far the coolest thing ever. Whether or not it's very difficult to do, which it definitely is, it's, it's fascinating to think about the implications it has on the strategy. The Bene Gesserit can win the normal way if they somehow collect three fortresses, which for the Bene Gesserit seems incredibly difficult. Yeah, the Bene Gesserit are the weird faction for the yeah. creative player. If you're, uh, yeah, because the other way you can win is at the be- at the very beginning of the game, before anything else has happened, you can pick one faction and one of the rounds between one and ten. Uh, of when, if you think that faction will win. So I, if, if I at the start of the game, I say, you know what? I think Spacing Guild is going to win in round six. If Spacing Guild wins in round six, they don't win, I win. They right. don't win, I win. I'm the right. winner now. Ha ha, got you. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. It's not the idea that, oh, I'm just trying to predict the win. The idea is the Bene Gesserit no longer is trying to win for themselves. They are trying to set up scenarios that give the Spacing Guild all of these advantages so that when it comes to round six, they finalize the strategy that gives Spacing Guild the opening they need to win so that you win instead. And the Spacing Guild knows the Bene Gesserit is trying to do that. So the Spacing Guild goes, are they trying to get me to win on round five or on round six or on round seven? I have no idea. I need to figure this out. Like, all of that is this crazy princess bride who's gonna drink the poison thing happening within the game and it's beautiful yeah uh, i my favorite thing about this is i really don't even understand how to incorporate the prediction um aspect of the benny Gesserit just into the game at all one right. thing i was considering um if we were to talk about the alternate win condition for the spacing guild the spacing guild basically wins um if no faction has been able to win the game by the end of round 10. Right. Um, I am, here's something I'm curious about. Can the Bene Gesserit predict that the no. Spacing Guild wins in that way? That, no, was they cannot? Thing, that was a thing in Rex that is not a part of Dune. For for Bene Gesserit's prediction to work, it has to be through the three fortresses. So you cannot predict a stalled out spacing guild victory i see that is see there you go i just learned something live on the show but that makes it even more interesting right you can't just work with the spacing guild to time the game out that's right that's almost too easy but that's what's that's what's fascinating about what the spacing guild does the spacing guild could try to get three fortresses or they can just ruin everyone every time they try to win a combat they just get in the way and and keep them from winning and if they can do that 10 rounds in a row boom that's a victory for them right right um, and also, I just love the idea of the Bene Gesserit basically al- allying with someone informally and just trying to Undercut essentially them. make the king make it. Yeah. There is there is a mechanic in this game for king making. Right now, it's kind of a wobbly mechanic. I'm not really sure if it's even possible for the Bene Gesserit to make this happen in on in any kind of reliable sense. Right, but it is great to me that kingmaking is somewhat somewhat a factor in the design of this game well and again so that goes back to the thing we were saying every meta aspect of like any board game has been considered here and is part of the design in in twilight imperium we talk about kingmaking as this thing that happens and it's sort of annoying but i guess we have to deal with it in dune that that's part of it that's it there's a faction that wants the king make and the whole thing about the Bene Gesserit is you could try to king make you know the spacing guild but if you do it too fast or too slow, they're going to win in the next round, and everyone's going to point their fingers at the Bene Gesserit being like, you helped them win the whole time. And they were like, yeah, but they won on the wrong round. That's the only reason. I, I almost had a great play of the week because I almost predicted their win. Th- those sort of things being a part of every player's mindset are are truly fascinating. We haven't covered it yet either, but the Fremen have a similar thing to the Spacing Guild where they don't want anyone to win, but they also have some really specific territory control stuff in addition to that. 
Uh, I won't go into the specifics on that, but the but the Fremen are there trying to just shake up who's controlling what and where. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So so that you know, just all of these things. That's half the factions in the game maybe don't care about controlling the three main territories that they need to win. Right, right. right. That's, they have that's, they have <laughs> an alternate. Three factions have alternate win conditions, which is half of the factions basically. So here's what we've done. We we have each played this game once. These are our thoughts after one play, basically. Yeah. And and we want you to know that the way that we actually played w- is with the basic set of rules. We did not use... There's a whole advanced rule set um, that we did not incorporate into our game that ha- adds even more complexity to e- each of these factions. And I think to a certain extent, even kind of balances them a little yeah. heavier. Yeah. Um, and I think the advanced rules are basically going to be the standard way that we play on this show. I mean, yeah. I, I feel that way. I don't know if you feel that I, way. I well. definitely do. I, I I definitely recommend anyone who's wanting to kind of learn the game, start with the basic. That's what we're, what we're like Hunter said, what we're both doing. Uh, I even, we've, I've played one game. I played the basic game and I got a bunch of rules wrong, right? Because right. we, we didn't have anyone who had played before besides me. And I, you know, haven't played in like two years. So uh, for, for us, you have to give yourself that wiggle room and and the basic game is a great way to kind of work out those kinks and then rest assured our show is going to cover the advanced game because that's that's just where the game actually comes even more alive there's all kinds of powers we didn't cover that change everything we just talked about in even more dynamic ways uh and and we're we are definitely going to cover the game from the advanced uh rule set but i highly suggest you learn it from the basic uh, yeah because it, it just it, it eases you into everything a little bit better uh because you, you really need to learn all the phases before you do anything else and once you've learned the phases then you can dive into the advanced game stuff yeah and i would anticipate uh we are probably going to have some sort of tutorial style episode in yeah, the future um so. where we where we really break a lot of this stuff down but this is kind of like our first um our kind of first pass on the game as a whole and we're just trying to communicate to you you know what what really excites us about it um i i mean i personally the stuff i really love is that i love all of the weird uh wind condition stuff and i love all the economy stuff the way yep. that the spice moves around between the six houses is really interesting to me the way that just some factions just get well you just have an easy access to the economy of the game right. and then you have factions like the fremen that basically have no access to that economy right but also are a little more self-sufficient that they don't really yes. need to be a part of this relationship between all the players um I like it. It it kind of it smells a little bit like root, in that there's a little bit of uh, async uh, asynchronous or, or asymmetry, I guess, to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's also a little more uh, weaved together. I think yeah. it's a, a good kind of middle ground between a game like Twilight Imperium and Root. Actually. Yeah. Root has felt like a much bigger hurdle to even understand what I'm supposed to do. Right. Dune, I feel like I understand the general premise of what I'm supposed to do, and now I f- have to figure out how I'm going to do that against all of my opponents. That's like the right. only thing I'm trying to figure out. My, my favorite thing about Dune, and if I was to like get excited about one thing and try to pump you, dear listener, up, it's the idea that the game can end at any point. You don't necessarily see someone's victory coming uh, because the whole idea is that the, a victory is made off of a big like Hail Mary pass, a big playmake. You've been setting it up uh, to, to just try to slowly accrue stuff isn't really going to work because there's there's not enough stuff to get to be able to make that the way that you win. The, the idea that the game can end in round one or could end in round 10 is like the most fascinating idea strategically. We're so used to Twilight Imperium talking about how do you set up your economy? Okay, now that you've got that set up, now that you've finished round one and two, how do we get into the mid? The whole soul guide is is structured through the phases of your game, your early, mm-hmm. mid, and late game. That just doesn't seem possible in Dune. We'll be talking about completely different stuff. So to get you excited about even just what the show is going to do, I think you can expect very different types of guides uh, from this game and from these factions that are, I, I think, going to be a huge joy to make and hopefully a joy to listen to just because it's it's going to be setting up specific things. It might not even be that there's like one good guide per faction. You know what I mean? It might be the way I have to do episodes about how to win this way and how to win that way and how to win with X and Y and just like playing out all of those different scenarios and that's what you have to keep in mind with each game is like 
I have, you know, a starting point, and I have six different options for how I can try to win the game, and I need to be keeping an eye out on all of them all game, so that at any moment I can strike. Yeah, yeah. I am really excited to be uh, digging into this game, and I hope that you guys are all excited to kind of dig into it with us. Um, Again, like we like to restate every time, don't be afraid. We are, we have so much Twilight Imperium content coming for you. We've actually just kind of triple booked ourselves, basically, as far (laughs) as how much much strategy guide style content we are going to try and give you. Um, And I also want to kind of put a little bit of a disclaimer out there in that I think the way that we're going to cover Dune is not as don't expect those guides to come out with the sheen, the 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 shine yeah. of our current Twilight Imperium uh, content. It's going to be a little more like here's your first pass, and if right. everybody loves that, then we will then give you yeah. the hard the hardcore stuff. I'm I'm sort of interested in taking you all on this journey with us, right? Mm-hmm. So many of us, there's tons of people that have been playing Dune for literally decades uh and we we are not them we can't you know we're not going to cater to that audience they're going to kick our butts every single time so instead i think our dune coverage is going to be more about let's all learn how to play this game together and and the errata that we'll get will be so much better because we're going to have true experts come in and tell us when we're wrong about stuff and we'll be able to adapt that for for future episodes and we'll all just be kind of learning how to get better at this game together yeah Yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, Let's get over to the errata, shall we? Let's do. Uh, Last week, we talked with Naderade uh, about uh, group metas. And uh, obviously, we were only three people. So we kind of only have our own perspectives to talk from. And we have just one really, really good nugget of errata to to go over that is something that I just thought was a a another vantage point that we were not able to offer in that episode. Hunter, do you want to read it? Sure. Uh, so this came to this bleh, this came to us from Hazel Raw. Um, there was a lot of talk in the episode about how if you're playing with strangers, you're basically playing in a tournament setting. However, that's actually not been my experience at all. I like bringing the game to conventions where I usually wind up playing with four people I've never met before. This inherently is a different different setting because often I am looking to maybe play a few few other games with some of the same people later in the convention. This also usually results in at least two brand new players who, against my own self-interest, I tend to take it quite easy on. I'm not a great player, and I'm often concentrating on the game experience of the others, so I usually don't win these games, but that's not the point for me. I make generous deals, I don't take home systems when given the opportunity, and I always recommend Soul to the newbies. I actually am just there to make friends with people that I've never met before and may not have otherwise met. Wondering if others around here play non-tournament at cons. Um, Yeah, so we kind of uh, left this out when we were talking about like just situations that you would approach the game from. Um, the idea that a bunch of strangers would come together at a convention and play Twilight Imperium just isn't really quite in our experience. Yeah. But this is totally valid and totally something that probably should have been included in the episode. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think this makes a lot of sense and is also just like really sweet, yeah, basically. C- consider me just absolutely charmed by even just the notion of all of like that, that whole, that whole read is just like, oh, oh. What a yeah. humanity! You pulled it off. You did a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and how weird are we that we just didn't consider like people <laughs> would play this to make friends? Right? What, who are we? So with that, uh, you can rate us, please, on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Uh, Honor, there's another show that people should check out on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, and I think you should uh, talk us through that a little bit. Um, yeah. So I am actually now on uh, another podcast in addition to this one. Um, it is a show called Dumb and Busted. Uh, it is a true crime comedy show. So very, very different from this show. Um, <laughs> a very different audience and very different uh, target. But if you guys um, listen to the show and enjoy uh, the sillier episodes and the comedy aspects of it, if you like my stand-up, if you've ever watched any of that on YouTube, um, 
please come check out Dumb and Busted. It is a very, very funny show um, that I am now a, a kind of third co-host on. They've been, they're probably about 70-ish episodes into their run, and I was a guest on the show for like episode number 65, and they were just like, oh, we just had so much fun. Will you just like come be on this show every week? So now I'm doing that uh, in addition to all the other things that I'm doing, and I am so super busy, <laughs> but I would really... I would really love it if you would come uh, check out the show. Uh, definitely, if you don't like true crime stuff, though, eh, it's not for you. Uh, and honestly, <laughs> you know what's weird? I don't really like true crime stuff very much. That's like kind of part of the whole gimmick of it. So yeah. maybe I should take that back and say, if you don't like true crime stuff, this well, maybe now in. you could. Yeah, this might be your end because I kind of criticize the whole genre uh, the entire time. Uh, yeah. That's kind of my angle on it. Because uh, well, I think it's uh, kind of messed up, actually. It's a horrible thing to do. But uh, <laughs> but I it's it's been a really fun show, and uh, I'm I've pr- I've probably recorded like three episodes now, um, and I'm yeah I'm gonna be doing that for a while. So please come check it out. Dumb and busted. Yeah, and that's just kind of the start of like I think more bigger projects for for us. I mean, us doing Dune, and there's all kinds of things we're hoping to start improving over the next few months. So I just think in general. Uh, expect to start seeing us maybe in more places, hopefully. That's kind of a goal of ours. I think that's fun to to talk about. So uh, if you want to keep up with that stuff, you can follow our Twitter at SpaceCatsPod. We'll always post about all kinds of stuff that we're uh, working on. You can also find us on Facebook, Space Cats Peace Turtles. You can find our posts every week on the Twilight Imperium subreddit. This one probably won't be on that because this isn't about Twilight Imperium. I have no idea what we're going to start doing with uh, with Dune episodes. We got to figure out where those are going to go. If you right. know, if you if you are a big fan of Dune and you have a forum board that you're a part of that you know has a great community and would welcome us being there, as opposed to kind of how Board Game Geek didn't love us being there, let us know because we want to come be a part of more Dune communities. Uh, we just don't know where they all congregate. I so far haven't found like a Dune board game uh, subreddit. And, you know, we're, we're a little bit hesitant to invade uh, the board game geek. We'll see. We'll see what we decide to do there. Yeah. But let us I've, know. We should. No, let's just do it. We'll and probably we'll just, just invade kicked, and then kicked off of that right, one we'll, we'll and whatever. Be, we'll, we're just a couple of dune punks coming to scuff up their shoes. Uh, hey, you can also join our Patreon and contribute to the show and help us experiment with all these new projects. Uh, and you can join our Discord. Uh, the Discord is... Not for patrons only. I get that question a lot. Uh, it's a free Discord. Come join the Discord. You just also get some extra benefits if you are a part of the Patreon. So yeah. please come hang out with us and talk about Twilight Imperium or Dune. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're if you're a Dune fan checking out our show for the first time, uh, but we probably should have at some point been like, hey, welcome. Um, <laughs> but also, the there is a place on the Discord for you. If the, if there is, it's hard to imagine that there's ever going to be fans of the show that are like not into Twilight Imperium but are into Dune. I would but love if that. that. There's going to be people who are into Ti and not into Dune. Like we have the inverse. I really right. suspect we will get some some Dune buddies that are like, I've never played Ti because it takes too long. Dune buddies? You you mean Dune buggies? Which Dune is buggies. what we're going to call ah! our our specific dune fan base the dune buggies what's up dune buggies i actually hate that please don't yeah. have nicknames for your fan base that's dumb <laughs> no i love i love that uh, well, I- yeah dune dune buggies our dune right. buggies wrote in this week so what are uh, our ti fans what, what are they just all space cats that seems weird no that's that that's i mean that's technically dumb. i think our version of that is the space kitties but we only reserved it's like a it's That's like just thing. for a special, like kind of elite squad, basically, <laughs> um, which is I what I think what makes it so like not bad. But uh, right. yeah, Dune buggies. That's it. That's canon now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum.